Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Business Podcast, supported by the Digital Greenhouse. I'm Amanda Eulenkamp and each month I'll be speaking to the local entrepreneurs using the island's innovation hub, either to help get their ideas off the ground or as a base for their work. My guest today is Warren Major, who is as well known locally for his charity work as he is for his day job at production company Spike Productions. Warren is loath to describe himself as an entrepreneur, but when he set up his business, it's fair to say that he challenged the status quo. He may now be one of the establishment in his own words, but his story is fascinating. Tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Calling it an entrepreneurial journey jars straight away. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if I would class myself as an entrepreneur, Um, but um, we started in business, in fact, almost exactly 18 years ago. I think it was actually April the 1st, oh, <laughs> 18 really? years ago. So Spike comes of age on Yeah, we've become fully mature, I'd say, uh, in, a, in a few weeks. But we started, I, so the reason I started out, I was working at Channel TV. I had opportunities to go and work in the UK for um, national news at that point. But I was, I was not sure. I didn't really want to go and work in a city, but I wanted to work further afield. And the best way I could work out it was to set up my own company to make documentaries and um luckily uh liam who i worked with in jersey who was in jersey based at channel as a cameraman and editor he had similar ambitions and we had skills that matched not sorry not matched that meshed really well so what he was good at i wasn't and vice versa so it worked really well and both of us took a big leap and set up on our own to make documentaries. We weren't interested in corporates or anything. We just wanted to make TV documentary programmes. And we left our jobs, bought lots of, very at the time, very expensive equipment and, um, and started. And we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> I, can, I can honestly say very, very naive. But we, but we, we committed 100% and, and tried but even if you didn't know what you were doing, I, I can't believe that 100%. You must have had a vision in mind. As you said, it was it was documentaries. It was stuff that you knew, wasn't it? Yeah, um, we, we didn't... We, we had experience of news and journalism and Liam had been at film school and he was very talented and um, I, I'd sort of so I made it up as I went along to, to get to where I was. But we, we were very um, driven to try and do it and... What we didn't realise is how hard it was to get commissions to make TV programmes, and it's re- really very hard. And but we literally bombarded the TV stations for all t- all terrestrial TV stations day in day out with ideas, with proposals, and we got so much wrong. But in every time that we did one, we probably got a bit better. And we and a better understanding of what was um, what was needed and what they were looking for, and we used to go to events in the UK and just talk to commissioning editors who were there, just doorstop them and find them and ask them what they wanted, what they're looking for, and then go back and bombard them with more emails. And what it did is it just it took a lot of effort and a, and a hundreds and hundreds of knockbacks. But we just got better and better all the time. And then eventually we found an opening and the opening was, event led to a uh, commission with the Discovery Channel. 
But that came from a chance meeting with somebody here who had a link with, get it right, Stephen Fry's agent. We pitched an idea to try and get Stephen Fry involved in a ridiculous um, program, a series that we'd come up with. Um, they didn't do it, but then they recommended us to the Discovery Channel, which got, gave us basically our in. And we went to the Discovery Channel with five or six ideas. And the first five, they knocked back. And the very last one they went with, which I think we'd only just sort of come up with. <laughs> and, um, but we ran with it. And then that that just gave us a good in. And we just kept going from there. But it hasn't been smooth. Like that's then a peak. And then off the back of that, then it sort of drops. We picked up some really good corporate clients off the back of that, which we then sort of realized we had to do as well. But it would never run smoothly. You'd always have like a year or nine months, which was good, and then it would dip. And then you'd have to rethink and come up with new ideas and build again. So it's always up and down. You always you always felt... Sometimes I always said the, the, best, the best times we had were also weeks away from us going out of business. So like you have a real high, like you, we, we won a national award um, for something. And... At that time, we were like, if we haven't got more work in a couple of weeks, what are we going to do? <laughs> so, yeah, the, the two go very close together. I know you, you don't like to be described as an entrepreneur, so I'll call you a businessman instead. <laughs> then. But uh, would you say to anybody who is starting a business, you have to take the rough with the smooth? Do you think people think it's it's going to be an easy ride to, to set up on your own? And, you know, you get you often hear people say, oh, you get extra holidays, et cetera, et cetera, because it's your own business. That's not really the reality. Have you, what, you learned, obviously, from those knockbacks. The knockbacks, I think, you learn more from than the successes, without a doubt. I think that's just across life, <laughs> I, would, I would think. But it's not easy. And we, we were, I'd say we were obsessive, to or committed in those early days where every hour of our days was focused on trying and finding something and seeking opportunity and honing our skills or or, or something but it was all driven to just trying to be successful um and, and and that's what we did and we did that for many many years where we were just pushing and pushing and pushing and well we just didn't didn't give up really we just kept just kept trying and I think that's something that's not often seen people see the end result don't they absolutely I remember reading something about Richard Branson once and how successful he is and he actually said if you could see all the businesses that I started that didn't go anywhere you wouldn't be saying this absolutely and, and I and I say to people like m- mistakes are what we learn from but I've oh I'll give you such a long list of bad decisions or mistakes or things that we started that were just so poorly maybe thought out that we shouldn't have done it but but equally they're they're, they're, they're things that we've learned from like I said before is so we're always learning and I think if you're not trying to do things it's, I suppose if you're not making mistakes you're maybe not pushing hard enough as well because you're not looking for all these little nooks and crannies where you can can find the opportunity and was it really good for you to have Liam as a partner so you know a lot of people will set up businesses on their own but was it good to have his yeah insight as well uh, absolutely I think I don't know I, I don't know about Liam but um I think for me if I'd have done it on my own it wouldn't have worked I think I needed to have that partner with me in, in this partially because 
of the type of business we are, you can't do everything. You have, and that's probably a lesson in running the business as well, is that it's accepting what you can do and getting other people around you. And in this case, it was a business partner um, who, who are better than you in other areas. And it's way more... I find it way more interesting and more exciting to be around people who can do stuff that I have no idea how they do it. <laughs> and and but I'm excited about because I feel like I can go and sell that or I can... Sometimes the person who can do the really cool stuff doesn't know how to do get it out there. And I think that's maybe where I can sometimes help. It's like I can see the opportunity for using something someone's creative or ideas and then seeing a pathway for it to actually if you like monetize it or commercialize it how long was it just the two of you in in spike and how did the business grow it was it it was two of us for i think it may be the first year and a half or that sort of time and then we employed a graphics guy and that so the the first employee was a guy called James in in, in Jersey who was our uh, graphics animator, really good, great guy, and he's he's amazingly talented. He's he's grown so much it's, he, he, when he was with us, but he left and he's done so well since. But he was our first employee, but we only had one computer, so we had to share the time. So if Liam was editing, the graphics animator couldn't work he could, on a computer so he had to, and this is all in Liam's flat <laughs> so it's all in a spare bedroom I don't know how why he ever came to work with us really but um so yeah we had one one de- one computer so they basically had to share it and do it in like shifts of when they could <laughs> use it so one was one was working one wasn't and um things like that it was yeah it was quite ridiculous really and then from there we went we got an office and quite quickly went from three of us to five of us and and did you also have five computers at that stage we we <laughs> we got better after that and and once we were becoming a bit more confident we were able to invest a bit more and actually had an office and had better equipment and, and things yeah i just have visions of you all looking at your watches going, okay it's my turn off you go it was literally like liam would go to the loo and james would jump onto the computer and do a bit of work that seems miles away from the spike productions that we see today and um you know it, it, you deliver a lot of very very professional um uh, things in in all sorts of fields don't you whether it's corporate or whether it's um for other types of you know not not corporate businesses but you know documentaries all sorts of things so how did how how, how did the business expand we've always been ambitious in our um well, not in a money way, not. Um, and actually, we, we've done all right, but we have. You know, we probably could have done a lot better. Um, but we've always been ambitious with our our delivery. We've always, when we set up uh, doing more corporate work here, we didn't just want to be good in the channel lines. We wanted to be seen as good in, uh, as anyone in the UK. So that was always our sort of ambition. And we would always benchmark ourselves against like top production companies, say in Manchester or London or, or any of those sort of hubs. Um, so it's just a mindset thing that we had, but we just weren't going to settle for just being average. We always wanted to do our best, and it's challenging because as as we get older, we were we were we were the sort of challengers back then. We'd probably now more the establishment. Um, but yeah, we just we just keep keep pushing and just keep trying to reinvent things and and see what 
it's good and try and emulate it, I suppose. And talking about you know being a challenger in the in, in an industry, obviously you set up a business in the Channel Islands. It's a very different place from 18 years ago in terms of technology, in terms of you know the speed of the internet. Um, we, we jokingly talk about computers, but they've come down in real terms in price from what they were then. Uh, what what was the attraction for from a business point of view as setting up in the Channel Islands and, and in Guernsey in particular? Well, I suppose if we had, a, if we'd have had a, if we if it was a blank canvas, we probably wouldn't have set up in the Channel Islands. It's not the natural place to do what we were trying to do, particularly as we were trying to do work outside of the islands. Um, but what it has been good for is that you've got a really good base of companies here, particularly before the financial crash around 2008. There were some really good companies who had good budgets who could spend who were happy to spend money on what we we were doing as well so we had some really really good good solid clients who were willing to to spend good money on what we could what we could do so actually it turned out to be a really good base and the other thing that you that i find is that there's a lot of things that you come up with and people will say well surely someone would have done that or so surely that would be done but what the channel lines is brilliant for is the people access to people? So we we had a project years ago um, where it involved IP, it involved lawyers, it, invo- it involved telecoms, all those coming to and tax advantages, and all those things having to work together. And we got in a we, we got in a room within like two weeks of working out what was needed. We had all the people in the round table. And that question was raised. And I said, well, if we were in London, to get this sort of calibre and this range of people around a table, we just wouldn't... It, well, not, not only it wouldn't happen, but it'd be really, really hard. You'd have to be very, very well connected and um, and get through to those people past gatekeepers and this, that, and the other. Here, we generally know people or we know how to get to people. Um, and if you've got an interesting project, people will usually meet and, and discuss it. So I think there's a, it's, it's underrated, but there's, there's opportunity here just from access to people and people willing to do things. And, and that's a huge barrier in other places. We'll be back with more from Warren Major shortly. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be hearing from lots more local entrepreneurs. So make sure to hit follow or subscribe on your podcast player. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Our thanks to the Digital Greenhouse for their support. So let's get back to the interview. That connectivity on island is obviously really important. And somewhere like Digital Greenhouse that, you know, actually attracts very entrepreneurial minds, very creative minds. What would you say about uh, working there? And, and also, you've, you've had some involvement with him yourself, haven't you? Yeah, so if that had been there when we were setting out, I wouldn't have been based in a bedroom. We would be based there, and that would have been actually probably very useful. I mean, um, just to be around like-minded people, if nothing else, and have an office outside of your your home. But I've been working from there since it opened, and it's a really good it's a really good place it's maybe it's it's not maybe obvious what the good bits are and i think that i've said to someone recently i think they're intangible that 
a lot of them are in what I call like collision conversations where you you just bump into somebody and then you have a conversation that can lead to work literally ex- the, the most base level winning work <laughs> it, it opens a conversation that then you've got a connection and then you can win work but actually I think it's more a supportive environment where we are talking to lots of other people in similar businesses they're not in our business but like the guys that sit behind me are architects so our businesses in some ways don't cross but we have very similar challenges of how we deal with clients how we deal with even cash flow business budgeting all these different things and we talk quite you know all the time but it's literally spinning your chair around and (laughs) hey have you ever had this problem and discussing it for two or three minutes that's really useful when you're small businesses and you're not siloed and you can share information and support each other that is that's worth quite a lot of money i would say but it's like i say it's intangible you can't i couldn't say to you that's worth x thousand a year to the economy or or whatever but it sounds like it's a great working environment and it's really stimulating as well it is um there's there's a good range of people there but also there's a good through flow of people who come through for all sorts of things just booking rooms for meetings to to training and workshops and what have you and so it's quite dynamic it's um there's always someone to ask or question of or bounce an idea of or do take take um make use of their training um there are Josh who works for me is just starting a training program which is for a year and a half um in sort of marketing and digital marketing and 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 essentially just tech technology um that's something we wouldn't have accessed on our own and that's a that I think will be a real bonus for him it's something good that I can offer that I couldn't have offered on my own without a partnership like the digital greenhouse as well What's next for um, Spike Productions then? Where, where are you? you know, we're in the 21st century here where technology has, has gone on in leaps and bounds in your industry as well as other industries. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, it's, it's a million. I wish I could answer that question. <laughs> um, where, where are we going to go? But um, I think it's changing. So we, don't, like, we started out doing documentaries, then it evolved into co- corporate work. And I feel like it's just a constant evolution. So the next stage is I think we've got um, other technologies that are coming in that sort of merge and they blend and they're, but they're different to just straight out video. So we do work in virtual reality now and we do some other work which is blending video with some more complicated technologies and how and working in a sort of 3D digital universe rather than just pure video. And I think that area is going to be interesting. We're also working um, in more looking for higher value work with the skills that we have. And and I think there's going to be I think there's going to be more stuff emerging, which isn't just pure, it's not out-and-out video or film like you, you would sort of think of us. I think there's going to be some some, some clever evolution of technology. So some exciting times ahead. Hopefully. <laughs> and you said you touched on the fact that you were a challenger 18 years ago. You, you're about to come of age, or actually uh, by the time this comes out, you will have come of age. Um, so congratulations on that. What would you say to anyone who is starting out, who's sitting here, 
sitting at home listening to you, um, getting inspired by your story, what, what, what sort of tips would you give to them? Well, I don't think it matters what you're doing as long as it's something that you throw yourself into. And I think if you're passionate about anything and the big one is being committed and not easily knocked off course, then that's probably the best things I can say. And, and actually, I say to young people, <laughs> one of the tips, if you're good to work with and you're reliable um, and you're fr- friendly and you can actually just do the job, you're already probably in the top 5% because just being reliable, competent and nice to be around sets you apart from <laughs> quite a lot of people. But I, I generally just think it's, you've got to be committed, you've got to be able to accept that rejection without taking it too personally and just keep going. And things don't always come easily, And they, and but you will be, you'll just get somewhere if you just keep going and just don't give up and just keep chipping away. And you like a challenge, don't you? Not just in your business life, but also in your personal life. And you obviously are connected with the charity This Is Epic. And I think, if memory serves me correctly, the first thing you did was seven marathons in seven days. Tell us why you did that. So I did that because that was my first sort of um, connection with the charity This Is Epic. I'd met Philip, who was co-founder with his wife, Louise. And he was talking about what they do and they needed to raise money to get the uh, finished savings and loan groups in in Africa growing and and building and I I was at also at a time where I'd just been reading a lot of books about doing big challenges and people achieving things and I thought it's about time I stopped reading and (laughs) started doing something Um, I wasn't particularly fit at nothing special at the time Um, I just thought it was a good idea and just and in a little way a bit like starting a business I just said yes and then committed to it. And I think that's a th- there is a theme there, which is, it doesn't really matter whether, where, how, if you know how you're going to get there. I said yes, and then we just worked out how to train and how to do it in a way. And the most recent one has been the pulling a Fiat 500, hasn't it? Yeah, so we've pulled um, a Fiat 500 for a marathon. And, and that, again, exactly the same scenario. We were running a raffle, to, to raise money for the charity um, with um, Montsant Garage were working with us and we were, we were struggling to know how we could get cut through the noise of, of charity fundraising and getting a, uh, basically another raffle going and Philip and I sat down and we were trying to rack our brains how we could sort of get, get this more known we felt like we had to do something that involved the car. We weren't even really thinking about a physical challenge, to be honest. Um, and we were both pretty busy and, and knackered at the time as well. And then we came up with the idea of doing some carpool. It started off quite small and very quickly within, and I mean like within minutes, escalated to, well, we do mar- we've done lots of marathons. Why don't we do a marathon with the car? which both of us thought was a bit ridiculous um, and also quite scary. But we said, yeah, let's let's do it. And then we, we literally on the spot committed to it without knowing what we would need to do for training, what we need to do for anything else. And then within about a week, we had a proper four-month training program, a date. We had Monsanto looking at how they can help adapt the car <laughs> and everything went in place. So although we flippantly made the decision to do it, 
once you've decided we're 100% in for training and neither of us missed a training session in four months and that's amazing um, work yeah pretty hard to try and get strong enough to be able to do it and and it's actually great to be able to stretch yourself mentally as well as physically isn't it and I think would you agree that for anybody working to have some sort of um, way of letting off steam not necessarily putting a Fiat <laughs> no, 500 but you know <laughs> um, it is, is actually important and probably something that uh, anyone who's coming into opening up a business who thinks they've got to live it 24 7 that's actually a big mistake isn't it yeah and and that's a mistake I've definitely <laughs> I've definitely made um I think once I'm into something I focus quite heavily on it possibly get obsessed in the moment of doing things um but you do need a balance and actually exercise and work work quite well together I've got families so balancing the three three things so that they work nicely together rather than you know one dominating too too much because then it's at the detriment to the others if you can find the right balance which is pretty hard then yeah you've got a nice nice situation but quite often the balance goes well off kilter if I'm honest and so for somebody who's and I quote never had a real plan you've <laughs> actually not done too badly in life have you <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we shouldn't plan too too, too much I, I haven't I, um I, yeah I, le- I went to university and did sports science so I, I haven't followed that path although when I left university there weren't really many jobs in that um I I, I think no, I haven't had a real plan. And actually, I've got friends who have who had a plan from when they were 16. And it was like, do this, do this at university, do this job. And I don't know that they were happy in, 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 a lot of, in a lot of cases in following that because they haven't consciously tried to do something. They've just almost blindly followed a path that was set out for them. From just school. like a linear yeah, it's, career. It's almost like you go to, right, well, go to school get your a-levels go to university leave university get oh, i've got to get a job and they haven't really stopped to think what they actually wanted to do they've just sort of followed a path that just happened and then they get to sort of 40 or 50 and i've realized how how did they get where they are and step without stepping back so i think although i haven't had a plan i i think i've looked at things that i wanted to do and just followed that and I think that's, well, I don't know. I don't know what the answer of life is, <laughs> but I think uh, it, it's work. It's work. Well, I'm still here. <laughs> that was Warren Major. As we continue with the series, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we've heard, what it's like starting a business in Guernsey, and any questions you have for the local entrepreneurs who are already working hard to turn their business dreams into reality. Get in touch. We're on Twitter at gpressbusiness or you can email me on aulenkamp at guernseypress.com. We'll be back with more interviews soon as well as panel discussions reflecting the issues and opportunities facing Guernsey's business community. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Mm-hmm.